my pleasure to introduce our speaker and preacher this morning. Pastor Carol Houston has spoken here at Westmont on one other occasion when she brought uh, two chapels, spoken two chapels to us. I met Carol through friends, uh, which is the way the kingdom works. You become friends, and they have friends, and you meet their friends. And as we bond in Christ, we're able to bridge a lot of gaps. Pastor Carol Houston is the pastor of Bethel Church of Unspeakable Joy in the city of Watts. They celebrated their 50th anniversary of the church uh, just recently, and I was uh, deeply honored to be asked to bring the opening preaching session of a week-long series of celebrations in their church. And as I began that talk to an all-black church, with the exception of a few students that were with me who came down, I asked the congregation or shared with the congregation what I had asked Pastor Carol when she invited me. I said, Carol, why me? And I said to the congregation, in case you haven't noticed, Pastor Carol and I are a little bit different. And they laughed nervously. I said, she's young and I'm old. And they like that. I said, she's tall and I'm short. And uh, I said, in case you hadn't noticed, our, our skin tone is slightly different. And they howled on that one and amened me. And I said, the only thing I think that could bring Carol Houston and I together, because our paths don't naturally cross, is the person of Jesus Christ. Because in Christ, Carol Houston and Bart Harmon are not just friends, they're family. And so I thank them for welcoming me into their family, which it was. On Friday, this has been a very eventful week in the Houston family because her grandfather, one of the patriarchs of the church, 93 years old, whom I met during the celebration, Pops Houston, went home to be with the Lord this past Sunday morning, right before Sunday services began. And his memorial is this Friday, which I'll be attending and I was just honored by a request to say a few words at that uh, memorial service. So for Pastor Carol to come and be with us during this week, a week of difficulty but joy because they believe, as all Christians do, that Pops Houston is now in a better place, not a worse place. But for her to come up after service last night and to be with you to share reflections on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s life uh, is a tremendous sacrifice. And I'd like to recognize her brother, Ralph Houston, a deacon of their church, who drove her up late last night, up to about midnight. And uh, uh, we thank you for that, Ralph. We're beginning a series where, with Pastor Carol, to think about the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And on Friday, we'll have somewhat of an international perspective on his life as Dr. Jaywardena will bring reflections on the life of, of Martin Luther King Jr. So let's welcome this morning, though, Pastor Carol Houston.
All right. It is an honor for me to be with you on this day. I thank God for giving me the opportunity to join you on this very important day of celebration, the 15th of January, 1997. As we as a nation will look, I believe, more intensely on next Monday to why it is that we have the day off work might come because we look at the calendar and see the name Martin Luther King. I am honored today to have been asked to come and stand before you and to give some reflections on the life of Dr. Martin Luther King. And I want to share today from a personal perspective of how this man has impacted my life and continue to do so today. If you would allow me to go back just a little bit in my, my life and share some of my personal experiences with you that ties in this great impact in which Dr. King made on my life. If some of you are real quick, you'll be able to find out how old I am. It was in 1962, I was 11 years old. I was raised in Southern California in the area in which I now pastor and I was raised in a Christian home from birth. I was excited that my life as a child, as a babe, that all I knew were, was the things of Jesus and I was excited about that. A life full of love, a life full of excitement, a life of loving people and loving everyone. At the age of 11 years old, I was very moved when my parents said to me that I would have the opportunity to make my first trip across country. And this trip would be made by bus. Our national church organization had a youth conference planned in Raleigh, North Carolina. And some of the young people from our church, most of them older than I in their mid to late teens, but I, because I was the pastor's daughter, at 11 years old, I had a chance to go. So I was excited about that. We had various songs that we began to sing in excitement and preparation because we were able to rent a bus, a Greyhound bus, and pack that Greyhound bus with the young people and adults from our church in Watts, California, and go to Raleigh, North Carolina. As we got on the bus, I purposed in my mind that this will be an educational trip for me, that as I traveled across country, I would learn my geography. I was told about the various states that I would go through, and during that time, it was the old Route 66 that we would travel most of the way, all the way to Oklahoma City, and then we would veer off and continue across country. I was excited, taking notes, had a good trip. But a little over halfway that journey through the week that we traveled, we moved into Little Rock, Arkansas. And as I moved into Little Rock, Arkansas, and we began to stop at the bus terminals, I began to experience something that was a little different than I was used to. One, in some of the places in which we stopped, we had to stay on the bus. We could not get off the bus. Many of us had to go to the restroom, and we were told that if we needed to go, we had to go round this big building out to what was called an outhouse to use the restroom. I didn't understand that. I was traveling with my mother and my father, and when we went around to the outhouse, it was a wooden shed. 
And in the wooden shed, when you walked in, it was a wooden place to sit down. And as you, if you stopped and looked around this wooden place, there were like maggots and bugs. And then we were told that if we had to go to the restroom, that's where we needed to go. Well, needless to say, we had to go. So we experienced, I experienced at 11 years old, an outhouse. I didn't quite understand and I was just moving about looking and we would pull into places and we were hungry. And we couldn't go inside the, the bus station to eat and someone would come out with day-old sandwiches and we were able to purchase that if we wanted to eat. Needless to say, we purchased them because we were hungry. It wasn't until we arrived in Memphis, Tennessee, when we pulled to the bus terminal, that as we stopped there, the bus was surrounded by state troopers. And as the state troopers came on, on board, my, my father's a very tall man, a big man, somewhat the size of my brother. And he was sitting up front as he led us, and, and he, he stood up in the front of the bus to ask the state troopers, you know, what is this th that you need? And the state trooper pushed my dad in the chest and pushed him down in the front seat. And I was in the back. I didn't know what was going on. And the state troopers came on board with flashlights and went down the aisles and they were putting the lights in our faces and looking at us. And the men, they had them to stand up and they were looking them up and down. And finally they left. And I can remember my dad being somewhat angry. And my mother trying to calm my dad down, I began to cry because I saw the adults in pain I did not understand. And then I finally heard them say as we were all screaming, what is wrong? And my dad stood up and said, they believe we are freedom riders. I had never heard the term before. Freedom riders? What are freedom riders? I was a very inquisitive 11 year, year old young girl and I began to ask questions and my mother just said be quiet. So the trip continued. We got to Nashville, Tennessee and, and I began to really be frightened and see that it was like let's just check and see first if we can go in. We finally made it to Raleigh, North Carolina and we had a great meeting with the youth and one day in Raleigh, North Carolina my mother decided, let's go shopping downtown Raleigh, right in line with the state capitol. So I'm happy and I'm out with mom and we enter into this five and dime store. Some of you don't know what that is. Five and dime store was called. It had a lot of nice choices of, of goods that you could purchase. And as I went in there, mom was around shopping. I saw a water fountain because I was thirsty and I went to get some water. You may have experienced this in a water fountain, that when you push it and you go to get it, the water just trickles over the faucet and you almost have to put your mouth to it and suck the water out if you want it. Well, I decided I, I didn't want to put my mouth to that water. I decided I would not drink water. But as I played around the store, looking around while mom was somewhere else, I saw another fountain. And as I saw this fountain, I pressed the button and the water shot up over the side. I like that. I stood back and said, you know how you do it, 11? Press the button, watch it go on the floor, you know. It was fun. And I finally bent down and, and I, I got my water and it was cold, good water. The other fountain, it was just a dry fountain. And I, as I was down drinking the water, this young teenager, white young man, about 16 years old, as I was drinking the water, he came and he yanked me 
from the water fountain and said to me, you cannot drink that water. And I turned around. I was a nice size 11 year old. I, I, I turned around and it's like, what do you mean I can't drink the water? And, and besides, don't be pulling on me. I, you know, my, my father, they taught me not to fight. But they also taught me don't let people take advantage of you. Don't stand up there and let folks beat on you. So I stood back. It's like, wait a minute. And, and my mother heard the commotion. And she ran over very quickly and she grabbed me and she held me back. And she says, no, you cannot drink this. And I was like, what? I'm upset with mom. What do you mean I can't drink this? She said to me, can you see what's written above the fountain? She took me over and she pointed. Above the fountain, it had the word white. She took me again and she took me to this other fountain. She said, do you see what's written on that fountain? It was the word colored. Mom said, every time you see the word white, stay away from it. When you see color, you can use whatever says color, but stay away from the white. I was devastated. From that point, she ushered me out of the store. And as soon as I walked out of the store, right in this main street of Raleigh, North Carolina, there were benches for you to sit and rest if you were walking. And immediately I saw the bench that said white, and I saw the bench which said color. And it was the first time in my life that I began to see some distinction in humanity. I had never seen that before. When I returned back to Los Angeles, 11 years old, I began to investigate what is a freedom rider. I began to try to find out what is this distinction all about because I never experienced it before. It was then that the name Martin Luther King entered into my life. I began to look at and hear the news and read newspaper articles and inquire all I could about Martin Luther King because his name during that time was ringing out very loudly. In most of the papers that I read, what was written was not positive. Very negative wording about Martin Luther King. This man, this Negro man, was causing problems in the country, challenging a lot of different things. I began to look at his life and I was very amazed even as a teenager because this young black man, this young Negro man, as he began to grow and develop, he was smart. And I discovered that Negroes were not to be smart. They were not considered smart. But yet he completed high school by the age of 16. He graduated from undergraduate school before he was 20. And by the age of 26, he had received his PhD degree. He had deep insight. I really began to love him when I found out his daddy was a preacher. His daddy was a pastor. And I began to look at the works that he was doing, the things that he believed in. And I read a little history that had not happened that long before my awakening of realizing that Negroes, at that time could not ride anywhere they wanted to ride on a bus. That we had to sit in the back of the bus. 
And this man was instrumental of leading the country, the Supreme Court, through boycotts and, and petitions to the fact that the Supreme Court in 1956 declared desegregation on buses. One man? What was this all about? Soon thereafter, in one of the writings of Dr. King, he declared because the Supreme Court moved for desegregation, he declared that there was a new Negro in the South, and this new Negro had dignity, and the new Negro had a destiny. See, at that time we were called Negro. Then we were called Black. Now we're called, then we were called African, Afro-American, and now we're African-American. That, that just started confusing me because I, I, I had always been Carol, you know. I, and I thank God for that because I, I never saw color until I was 11 years old. But yet I was forced to look in a particular area to realize that I could not be stripped of the, the casing which God has given me. It happens to be dark. And so I began to look at this man Martin Luther King and this particular writing that stood out to me when he made the declaration that there is a new Negro in the South and this new Negro has dignity, this new Negro has a destiny. Discovering his father was a minister, discovering that Dr. King himself committed himself to ministry at the age of 18. He was ordained a minister in his father's church at the age of 18. He studied theology. And I began to look deeper than what the papers printed about the man. He began to be noted for accomplishing wonderful things for the Negroes. He was known for his stamina. He believed in nonviolence. What was behind this man? Or who was behind this man? I decided as I looked at this man and the history of this man and wanting to align myself with many things about this man, that I discovered the man who I grew to admire and love himself had found a man. And the man whom he founded was Jesus Christ. Went beyond the fact that he was heavily influenced by Gandhi, dealing in nonviolence. There was a sense of power behind Dr. Martin Luther King. He had determination. He had focus. There was something he saw that many never saw. I began to realize it had a lot to do with the depth of him feeling that in fact there was dignity about who it is that he had become or who it is that he believed at that time he was. It was a sense of having worth, feeling that there was honor about himself, that there was a sense of esteem about himself. Not that the man was egotistical, but I believe that he actually 
entered into touching the Spirit of Christ. And in touching the Spirit of Christ, discovering that he could do all things through Christ who strengthened him. His focus was spiritual. His impetus, his empowerment came from beyond himself. And there was nothing that could stop him because he believed very deeply in his heart of what he felt. He believed his life had a destiny. Believing, it reminded me of Jeremiah, where Jeremiah is, is, is really just reaffirmed by the Lord. Before you were born, in your mother's womb, I knew you. I called you. I touched you. I ordained you. It is I, God, who has given you a purpose. And as I began to just feel that and even more, as I moved into the mid-60s, really began to zero in on the life and following the movement of Dr. King, it did not surprise me when he gave the great speech that many of us know about. We've read it in history. When he stood tall and said, I have a dream. That moves the world even today when the words of that speech is echoed. Because as Dr. King echoed it, the dream he had inspired and ignited by God, where he could see beyond his present circumstance and see the glory of the Lord, see the perfectness in which God ordained. Not only that all men are created equal, but the fact that all of us are made in the image and likeness of God. The casings in which we have. I didn't choose mine, and you didn't choose yours. And yet within us, this casing is a spirit made in the image and likeness of God. A spirit that God desires us to be people of dignity. People who are focused and need to be channeled in a way and ignited in the way of realizing there is a destiny ahead of you. This man, Martin Luther King, for me today, even as I pause and I remember great things, you can pick up a history book, read some detailed accomplishments of this man's life. But beneath it all, you will discover the fact that who he was, was empowered by the Spirit of God. The focus he had, the determination he had, rested in his relationship with Jesus Christ. He believed that he could do all things through Christ, who strengthens him. There were not those around him that could see what he saw. He had vision. One thing is important that even in the midst of the vision he had, he did not live to see the fulfillment of the vision in which he had. The vision that Dr. King had plays a major part in the fact that I stand before you today, an African-American addressing a predominantly white Christian school that was unheard of 30 years ago. But God has inspired us as individuals to be so open to him. Maybe our names will not be in history books. But the Spirit of God today, even as you are here, 
at Westmont College. I've said this many times before as I've met with students of Westmont. You are a privileged people. Some of you, your parents made you come. Some of you wish you can get out quick. But you are blessed and you should realize you're blessed because in the foundation of this school, the Spirit of God planted a seed. The Spirit of God planted a seed for the birth of Westmont College where you could come together and, and focus in on the power of God. In Morning Chapel, I whispered to my brother as we sat there, both of us attended the University of Denver in Denver, Colorado. I nudged him as chapel began and Diane was playing. Don't you wish we would have had chapel every day? Yeah? Some of you believe it's an interruption. But what God wants to plant in you is that you have a purpose for life. There's a destiny that has been laid out for you. You did not just pop into the world. God strategically planned for your birth. The timing of your birth. God ordained Dr. King's life at the timing he was sent to come. And even as you sit here today, I pray that even as you move from this session today, that you would be so sensitive in your spirit to God to realize, allow him to inspire you to realize your purpose of existence, to tap into him on a daily basis, to find out from the one who created you. Tap on him and say, Father, what is the purpose you have for me? Sometimes we have days we're tired of living. We just tired of living, you know, just tired of people and just tired of living, tired of things and stuff. All right? It, it's like, you know, but realizing that since God gave me life and I'm here, it's important for us to tap in on our Creator to find out from our Creator His purpose for us every day.